Welcome, everyone, uh, to Mosaic Christian Fellowship. For those of you guys who are joining us for the first time, welcome, and uh, welcome to our Sunday service together. Um, today, I'm going to, you know, do things a little bit um, differently. We're not going to have actually a scripture reading right now, um, but we'll get to it uh, very, very soon. But uh, welcome to all of you who are joining for the first time. I know that we have some uh, first-timers today and, and joining us. Uh, welcome to you all. Uh, if you have been to Mosaic for any period of time, <clears throat> you know that um, I'm a very structured preacher. Um, I, all of my sermons um, are worked on um, ahead of time, repeatedly scrubbed, edited, prayed over. Um, I'm a very structured uh, person because that's kind of what makes me feel comfortable and, and safe. But um, this week, um, I want to do something a little bit different. It's not going to be the case this week. Um, we had last week a, a first part of a two-part sermon called the Wedding Supper of the Lamb or the Wedding at the End. And Thursday night, um, I sat with my sermon that was pretty much done. Um, it needed a little bit more look. And then Friday morning, I was going to go over it with the staff, which we always do, and get some feedback and, and look at the sermon together. And then the sermon would be over, uh, the preparation part. But as I sat uh, with that sermon Thursday night, um, I didn't feel right about preaching that sermon. Um, not yet. Um, I thought that we needed to take a, a Sunday um, and talk about the, the recent events uh, that have been going on in our nation. And it's probably because of the conversations I've had with our church members this week, uh, members of our community, and um, these weren't necessarily meetings about what was happening, but with every meeting that I had, our members expressed their anger, their sadness, their fear um, about what was going on right now. And as the pastor of the congregation, I felt that because of the widespread emotions that are um, our, our church members are feeling, I felt like I had to make more than just a statement at the beginning of the service or at the end of the service, but I think it was time for us to step away for one Sunday from our planned sermon and for me to kind of pastor uh, the church from the pulpit. I think it's also um, because of the unique silence and the shame that's in the Asian American community that I think that we need to speak about this, and we need to have a moment to talk about this because we have a certain silence about speaking about our own pains. Um, and so I think that this is important for us to talk about with so much, so much of our congregation made up of Asian Americans from um, different places, um, but many Asian Americans in our congregation. I felt that this was important for us to do. And so if you would just give me the permission uh, for one Sunday uh, to do something that's a little bit different, um, I think it's important for us to talk about today and just to pause for one Sunday and do this. And I know that I'm setting a precedence in the middle of can cancel culture that I might break my precedence when something else happens, but I think I'm willing to take that risk if you're willing to give me the permission just to take one Sunday and just talk about this. And it's not very well organized, but I do want to talk to you guys about a few things. Um, I want to talk to you guys first about evil, and then I want to talk to you a little bit about fear, and then about rage, and then finally about prayer. Um, these are things that I've been talking about this week with our congregants, and I, I felt that it was important for us to take some time and to look at these things. It's been a tough week um, at the tail end of a, a long year, and um, I thought it was important for us to just pause and to take this time together. And so before we jump in, would you guys bow your heads with me um, and pray for this time that we have as a church? Uh, Father, we come to you at, at the end of a confusing week at the tail end of a, a difficult year. And Father, we come because we know that you are the one who is able to speak to us in ways that not only comfort, but shed light and truth and help in this time. And so, Father, we come to you because we need you, like we sang. You're our hope and stay. You are our anchor. And so, Father, we come to you uh, looking for counsel, 
when we come to you looking for light. And so, Father, won't you speak to your people, your sheep, won't you speak this Sunday? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, The first thing I want to talk to you um, all about today is evil. And I want to take you to Genesis Uh, Genesis 2 and Genesis 4, and just read you a couple of verses from the first book of the Bible um, to talk about this concept of evil. In Genesis 2, uh, verses 15 to 17, this is what it says. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... You shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Genesis 4, uh, verses 8 to 10 says this, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. For those of you who are not aware, um, there has been a sudden uptick in uh, violence and attacks on the Asian American community in the United States, actually for the past couple of years, before COVID-19, but in the midst of COVID-19, they've uh, picked up. And today, um, I want to call your attention to what the Lord wants to say about what's happening in our nation. Now, this is not about one particular case, and I won't parse out um, each case to you, and, and I can't even tell you what is the percentage in each case, what, what's the percent that each crime is racially motivated? I don't know. I can't look into their hearts. I can't tell you how much of that person's motivation in the various attacks and cases that we've seen, I don't know how much of it or little of it is racially motivated. So I I can't talk to you about each individual case. Please don't ask me. In the weeds of each case, I get lost. But what I want to talk about is the unmistakable pattern of this larger picture of these attacks in our nation against Asian Americans. No matter how imprecise we are about parsing out the motivations of each case, there's an unmistakable larger pattern that is taking place in the United States. Over 3,000 cases reported since last February, and probably that's a conservative number. And so I can't talk to you about each individual case, how much of it is racially motivated, but I do want to talk to you about racism and anti-Asian hate that we are seeing um, in our nation. Brother rising up against brother. And in the Asian American community, I think that the question that I've heard this week is the question, why is this happening to us? Why is this happening to us? And I think that as Christians, we need to stop listening to social media for a second and listening to the media outlets for one second and just come to the pulpit and to hear the word of God on this, and we need to see that the reason underneath the reasons why this is happening to Asian Americans in our country is evil, full stop. Evil. That is why it is happening to us. There is evil in our world brought on by sin and brokenness, and racism is one manifestation of this evil that lives with us in this world. In Genesis 3, God told Adam and Eve that in the day that you eat of this tree, if you disobey me and you separate from me in relationship, then you will surely die. You will surely die in that day where you separate yourself from me. Now, I don't know if you ever thought that it was weird, but I thought it was strange that they didn't die. Did you notice that? That God said, in that day, you will surely die. But then guess what? They didn't die. They kept on Living And so you might have thought, wow, they, well, they escaped that one. They got away with that one. But actually, as you begin to turn the pages of your Bible and you keep reading your Bible, you realize, oh, what happened is so much worse. When God said death, he didn't mean just two people dying in a garden. 
what he meant that it was going to be so much worse than a man and a woman dying in one place. And that would be the end of the story if that's all it was. But what you see in the Bible is what God meant was that in the day that you separate from me as humanity, death will flow into your world. And it's not just going to be two people dying. It's going to be millions and millions of people dying. It's going to flow. Death is going to flow into your world like a river, and it's going to be far worse than you even thought. And that's what we see in Genesis. And even as you just turn one page to Genesis 4, you get this account of two brothers, the first two brothers, Cain and Abel. And it goes from the sin of eating a fruit that was forbidden to brother killing brother in one chapter, in one generation. What you see here is Cain killing Abel, and those two who were peers and those two who were brothers, those two who were equals and who should have loved one another and protected and cared for one another, it says that one of them rose up against the other. But they're equals. They're brothers. They're the same race because there's no race yet. There's no difference in skin color yet. There's no difference really in origin yet. And yet, even with um, all those things missing, yet still one of them rose up against the other, it says. Made himself superior than the other in order to kill him. Brother rose up against brother and killed him. Not only that, After that, when the Lord comes to him and asks, where is your brother? Where is Abel? Cain says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to be keeping track of him? I don't know. There's this distance created, not only a distance created in hierarchy, but a distance created between brother and brother. This is before race. This is before nation, before ethnicity. This is evil doing this to us creating this distance, and then the final thing that you see is cover-up. The Lord says, what happened? And the murderer says, I don't know. It's not my fault. I don't know. It's not my fault. You see, cover-up made through excuses, made through ignorance, made through feigned ignorance, lies, All of this, you see, taking place because evil has entered the world. This week's events are hitting home, I think, um, in the Asian American community in a way that's very new. Uh, Violence against Asians is not new, but this feels new. Um, And I think it feels new for various different reasons, video being one of them. But for the majority of the country, the names who were killed this week, and the names of those who are victims um, in these attacks for the majority of the country may feel far more foreign than names like George Floyd or Michael Brown. But for the Asian community, they feel a lot more like our grandmas, our grandpas, our uncles, our fathers and mothers and aunts, our brothers and sisters. The names may be foreign to many, but for the Asian community, they seem very familiar Names like Hyung Jung Park may sound more familiar, more foreign to many people than the names like Brianna Taylor. And last names like Tan may feel a little bit more foreign than last names like Brown. But nevertheless, brother against brother, brothers and sisters, part of humanity. This is still Cain killing Abel because of evil. What we're seeing is evil right in front of us. And that's why, brothers and sisters, the issue is not only racism, but racism is a a manifestation of the evil, and we have to say that word. We have to say the word evil. We can't lose that word. It is evil. It's one manifestation of this evil, racism. But it's really the evil that's showing itself up in many different manifestations that has to be addressed. And that's why there is this great need for a savior, a sinless savior. You see, one political party cannot rescue the other political party. One sinner cannot rescue another sinner. 
We can't do that. We're trading manifestations of evil with one another. There is this kind of tension in the Bible that people cannot save each other, that humanity can't save itself. Because the thief can't, steal, can't save the liar, and the liar can't save the racist, and the racist can't save the sexually immoral. It just can't happen. We need a sinless Savior who comes from outside of evil and comes to bring us salvation in the person of Jesus Christ. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I just want to invite you to get to know Jesus Christ. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the one who came into our world to deal with evil itself. When we couldn't deal with it ourselves, he came to die for evil itself. A sinless savior to deliver us from evil. Because that's what we needed. And in Jesus Christ, he has come to give us the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came and died so that we could be rescued from evil. Until he returns, we've been going through the book of Revelation and we've been talking about the last days when Jesus returns and next week we'll go ahead and finish out the book of Revelation. But until he returns, we have to live in this world of Cain. A world where brother rises up against brother. A world where, where brother kills brother, distances himself against brother. A world where Cain covers up his murder. We live in such a world, and so today, my, my heart is to share with you, what are we supposed to do while living in this world waiting for Jesus to return? I have a couple of things that I want to, to talk about. First, what do we do with our fear? And then I want to talk to you about what do we do with our rage? First, what do we do with our fear? You know, to live in Cain's world means to experience fear. I think for the first time I have seen a fear in my fellow Asian American brothers and sisters' eyes that I have not seen ever before. In this generation, I think that this is maybe the first time where Asian Americans who are your peers have a fear of their safety in our nation. I think it's the first time that I've seen that in the people that I live with and talk to. I'm thinking about my brother who's a pastor in Chinatown in, in New York, and, and his church is not just younger Chinese, but elderly Chinese, and they're together in one place, and he's uh, ministering to, to elderly Chinese uh, brothers and sisters who speak Mandarin and Cantonese and are scared of walking outside. I'm thinking about our friends who are having talks with our parents, telling them to stay indoors and to be careful because of what's going on outside. They're afraid to go to the supermarket in certain areas. I have a friend who's in California, and she has a, a mother who works in a store all by herself. And she's scared about her mom's life every day, that she might be attacked, that something might happen to her mom because she has nobody else in that store, and she can't protect her. To live in Cain's world means to experience fear because brother rises up against brother. It makes sense, brothers and sisters, that in this world that fear is something that is near and dear to us. The first thing I want you to do is not to avoid it, not to act like you're not afraid, but to deal with it in community. This is the time when we need each other. This is what community is for, for these kinds of times. And so I want to encourage you to reach out. And I want to give you some very practical steps in this sermon, what to do. First thing, reach out to your small group. Reach out to your Christian brothers and sisters. Reach out to your pastors. Reach out to your elders, your deacons, those who are around you, and talk about it and share and pray together. I want to put on the screen my contact and encourage all of you, if you need someone to talk to and you don't have anyone, you can reach out to me. I want to encourage you. My email is davepark93 at gmail.com, and my phone number is 201-895-6138. If you have nobody to talk to, you, know, you can talk to me. But talk to your small group, your friends, your elders, your pastors. 
you need to engage in community. You need to talk to somebody if you're afraid. Secondly, if you're afraid and need of deeper counseling, this is exactly why we set up Lighthouse Counseling. For times like this is when it's needed the most. And I want to encourage you to reach out to Lighthouse Counseling if you need counseling. LighthouseCounselingNJ at gmail.com. Reach out and our executive director will speak to you about how you can get counseling. I also want to encourage you that if you have parents or grandparents or elderly folks in your life who need someone to talk to, because many Asian elderly are, are in their homes and they can't get out, if you have a, a grandma, a grandpa in Chinatown, in Koreatown, somewhere, if you need someone for them, Lighthouse can help you get connected to a counselor who speaks Cantonese, who speaks Mandarin, who speaks Korean, who can, who can speak in, in various different languages. That's why we set this up. So I want to encourage you to reach out to them. Get into community and get help. But secondly, uh, we need to go to the Lord who provides us with comfort and strength in this time. You know, this is the time when we have to really understand what, it, what God means when he says, perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. What he means by that is when we're fortified by the love of God, it actually removes the fear. You see, when you worry, all you do is you live in a cycle of worry and anxiety. And that gives you this weird false sense of control, right? You feel like if, you, if you're worrying, you're doing something about your fear, but it, that's a lie. Nothing is actually happening. Jesus, his way of putting it, has, worry, has worrying ever added a, a, an hour to your life? Has anxiety ever added an inch to your height? Has worrying ever produced results for you? He says, no. Do not worry, but instead you need to go and get the perfect love which casts out all fear. You need to access the love and care that God has for you, and that has to speak to you being afraid. You need to access the love of God. Practically, I encourage you to pray over passages like Romans 8. If you're taking notes, these are passages to pray over this week. Pray over passages like Romans 8, Psalm 23. Ephesians 6, Psalm 121. These are all resources for us to access this love that casts out fear. You know, one of the things that really is, is, is hard for us is that we feel like this is too big for us to handle. And that not only makes us afraid, but makes us frustrated. We don't know how to lash out, but I want to encourage you uh, what David said before Goliath when he knew he was not stupid. He knew that he was too small to take on Goliath. He knew that he was not a warrior that Goliath was. And yet, what does he say? He says, I stand here before Goliath because the battle is not up to me. The battle belongs to the Lord. The Lord who rescued me from the bear, rescued me from the lion, he will also be with me as I stand behind before Goliath. So I want to encourage you to go to him who provides you with that love that casts out fear. And there are people who can help you. So please don't try to do this alone. That's what we do with our fear. We go to the Lord and engage in community. But the, the second thing I want to say, what do we do with our rage? You know, many of you, instead of being afraid, are very, very angry. What do we do with our anger? Because many of you are angry from seeing the images, seeing the videos, seeing what's happening, and you are angry. And the first thing I want to do is I want to understand what anger is. We have to understand what anger is. Anger is the response of the heart to protect what we love. Anger is the response of the heart to protect what we love. Sometimes we love things that we shouldn't love. Sometimes we're angry because we're protecting our idols. We're protecting things that are bad for us. We're protecting our sins, and so we get angry over that. That is not a right anger. Most of the time, we're angry because we're being very selfish and protecting ourselves in a selfish way. If you think about most of your anger, it's like that. And so that produces bad fruit. 
But remember, anger is the response of the heart to protect what you love. Sometimes our anger is protecting good things. That's called righteous anger. What that is, it's, it's a, a response of the heart to protect that which God has called you to honor. When you are angry because the name of God is being slandered, that is a righteous anger. When you are angry because the defenseless, the vulnerable, the needy are being abused, your anger is a righteous anger. I want to today give you permission, Mosaic, to feel angry. I want to give you permission to feel angry when it's righteous anger. That's why God gave anger to you. Do you know that? What should you feel when your wife's life is threatened, when your husband's life is threatened, when your children's lives are threatened? What should you feel when the elderly are attacked, when the defenseless are abused? What should you feel when widows and orphans are taken advantage of? What should you feel? You should feel anger. I give you permission by the word of God to feel righteous anger. That is why God has given that emotion to you, to tell you what you should protect. But it must be righteous anger. It must be an anger that protects those that God has called you to protect. I really want to lean into that because I think that sometimes as Christians, we don't know what to do with our anger. We're not sure if it's right or wrong. We don't know how to analyze and understand our anger. And so we think that all anger is bad. In fact, I think in the Western world, sometimes we associate godliness with a certain kind of energy, right? We think that if somebody is bringing the energy of kindness and quiet and peace, peacefulness, um, and if somebody is kind of giving you that smiling feeling, that warm feeling, we associate that with godliness. And we associate any kind of anger with ungodliness. And so we're not exactly assessing somebody based on what the truth of the Bible is. We're just assessing their energy. If their energy makes us feel uncomfortable, we think, oh, that's bad. Oh, that's ungodly. Oh, that's not biblical. But that's not necessarily true. How would you have felt if you were in the temple with Jesus when he started to make cords of whips and he started overturning tables? I'm sure many of us would have felt very uncomfortable with his anger, but guess what? That was a righteous anger. Some of us might have been tempted to pull Jesus aside and say, Jesus, we understand that you're upset, but this is not the way to go about it. Well, brothers and sisters, I want to give you permission to access righteous anger. That is what God has given us anger for. It's supposed to show us what we as his children are supposed to protect in this world. We're supposed to protect the widows and the orphans. We're supposed to protect those who are defenseless. That's why he gave us anger. We are supposed to protect the honor of his name. But... This is the key thing with anger. And please hear this part. We are given permission to experience righteous anger, but for Christians, anger must always produce love. For Christians, anger must always produce sacrificial love towards those who need to be protected. You see, this world, they feel anger and they respond with hatred. They, they feel anger, and they respond with vindictiveness, with reciprocal violence. But for the Christian, we're supposed to experience righteous anger, and it's supposed to produce the fruits of love and sacrifice and protection for those who need it. If you cannot make that connection, then you're going to make some big mistakes that you're going to regret for Christians, our anger, when it's righteous, should always produce love. And you will know them by their fruits. In Ephesians 4, 25 to 27, you see this. In Ephesians 4, Paul says, Therefore, putting away all falsehood. He's talking about in the context of community. Therefore, putting away all falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Right? 
He sees people living together like this. He says, speak the truth to your neighbor, for we are members one of another. We are connected. Very similar to when Martin Luther King Jr., the Reverend Doctor, said in his speech, we are in an inescapable network of mutuality. We are caught in this inescapable network of mutuality. You know what Dr. King meant? He meant that we are, no matter how much we try to separate each other by race and creed, we're stuck. We're, we're woven together in this inescapable web of mutuality. And that's what Paul says here. We are members of one another. And so he says, be angry. Be angry and do not sin. Did you hear that? Be angry and do not sin. Sometimes when you're in this network of mutuality, when you live like this with people, you're going to get angry, sometimes for bad reasons, sometimes for good reason. You have to assess your anger, but then be angry, but do not sin. Instead, love. Let that anger protect those who need your protection. Let it bear the fruit of sacrificial sacrificial love. And so he says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. You see, when we are angry, Satan tries to use that as an opportunity to make us sin because we're in a very vulnerable emotional spot. Paul says, be angry, but do not sin. Watch out for the devil who wants to use that as an opportunity to hurt people, to separate people, to divide people. Be angry, but do not sin. Mosaic, today I want to give you permission to be angry. Because from the Lord, anger is given to us so that we can see what is important, what we ought to stand up for, but it should always end up in love. So how do we love? Love in the Bible is sacrificial action. Many of you are wondering, what can I do? What can I do? And so today, I want to give you some very practical steps in thinking about what you can do as Christians who have the Holy Spirit. The first thing you need to do is you need to check up on each other. Talk to each other. You know, this week, one of the big surprises for me has been um, my Caucasian brothers and sisters, my white brothers and sisters, and my black brothers and sisters calling me and texting me and asking me, are you okay? On Thursday, and these are not just, on Thursday I had a, I had a meeting with um, our, uh, the company that we uh, hired as our staffing, you know, to help us to find our family pastor. And Thursday morning I had a meeting with him, and totally unexpected, as soon as we started the Zoom call, my brother from, uh, my Caucasian brother from, south, uh, from the South, from Florida, and he said, as we opened up the Zoom call, he said, Dave, before we talk about any of this, are you okay? Is your church okay? And to be honest, when I first started getting those messages from my brothers and sisters, I was, I don't know why, but I immediately said, oh, I'm fine. I don't know why. But later on, I started to say, I'm not sure. I don't know. I have to take some time and to know where I am and where the people are. But thank you for reaching out. It's been so, so encouraging my white brothers and sisters, my black brothers and sisters, just reaching out and showing that this is not about one color against another, but this is about Christians as a kingdom against evil. We need to check up on each other. We are together. We are in an inescapable network of mutuality, where as Paul says, we are members of one another, Regardless of color, we are us. We need to check up on one another. That's the first thing that we need to do. Check on your small group. Check on your ECORD members. Check on each other and ask, how are you doing? And be there for them. The second thing we need to do is if the Lord puts it on your heart, we need to mobilize to action. There are some very vulnerable populations of people that could use your help and you don't have to be an expert in any way. You can go and volunteer in these various different places. And today, I want to introduce you to one organization called the Heart of Dinner. 
The Heart of Dinner was uh, started in New York City, focusing largely um, on Chinatown and, and those who live there, and the elderly who are there. You know, much of the reason why the elderly need to leave their home is they have to go get food from the grocery store. And so what the Heart of Dinner is, is this organization that decided, you know, how, how do we show each other love in the Asian community? It's through food. And so it's named the Heart of Dinner. And they're mobilizing to provide food for elderly Asians who are in the New York City area so that they don't have to leave their home, right? So they don't have to make these trips, but that they deliver these groceries. And when you see that, I saw a video, a testimonial, and one of the, the, the grandmothers said, you know, it's more than the food. Every time I see these young people who are coming to help us, it shows us that we're not alone. And in Chinatown, there's this great movement happening. And so if you want to be a part of that, the information is in the YouTube link underneath. But there are so many more ways that you can be involved to help, help who are uh, the most needy. If you want to do something that's much more local than New York City, I encourage you to look at the Bergen County Social Services Directory. If you look there, you'll see everything in your town where you can get involved to protect those who are vulnerable and in need. Is that not what the Lord has called you to? In James, he says, this is true religion. This is true religion, not the fake stuff. This is true religion to take care of the widow and the orphan. That doesn't mean that's how you get saved. But that means that that's what Christians do. They mobilize to protect those who are vulnerable. I encourage you to... If you feel God's calling to engage and to help these um, organizations. Also, the last thing is if you see any um, crimes, please report them. Information is incredibly valuable. And so please report them to stopaapihate.org. Put that website up, stopaapihate.org. Please re report anything that you see. We are in this inescapable network of mutuality. We need to be there for one another. Before I close, I want to say the most important thing that we need to do is you need to believe in prayer again. You need to believe in prayer again. That's different than you need to pray. You need to believe in prayer again. You need to believe that prayer makes a difference again. You need to see that when we pray, things that are unseen happen. In Romans 8, verses 24 to 25, this is what Paul says. This is what faith is. He says, now hope is seen. The hope that is seen is not hope. If we all had equality and if we all had um, justice right now, what would we need to hope for? In essence, what would you need Christians for? Hope that is seen is not hope. It'd be done. Hope that is not seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But this is why we pray. Listen to Paul. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. That's what faith is. And that's what prayer is, to lean into change. I just want to read you some lines from God of Miracles. Let faith arise, for my champion's not dead, he is alive, and he already knows my need, and surely he will come and rescue me. God of miracles, come. We need your supernatural love to break through. Nothing is impossible. You are the God of miracles. You have to believe in prayer again, that it's going to make a difference. How are you going to stop the next hate crime? How are you going to stop the next guy in Texas from pushing over an elderly woman on the street? You can't stop that. How are you going to stop the next hate crime in Brooklyn or in Queens or in Chinatown, in Powell Park? You can't stop that. But there's a God who can. And your prayers speak with him and defend the defenseless. He is God of widows and orphans. So he says, I am God of widows and orphans. Pray to me. Lastly, we need to do maybe the most difficult part of all of this, 
and this is going to be very, very challenging, the most difficult thing to do is to pray for our enemies. Pray for our enemies. It's a lot of division, a lot of hatred right now. But brothers and sisters, don't you see that this is exactly why Jesus said we need to pray for our enemies? That is what is distinctly Christian in the way that we pray. We pray for our enemies. And for many of us, our whole lives, we've read that and said, I don't have any enemies. For the first time, the Asian American community is feeling what it's like to have enemies and feel defenseless against them. My brothers and sisters, I want to challenge you to do what is most difficult, which is to pray for your enemies. You need to pray for God's mercy on them, that God would change their hearts, that those who have hatred against any color, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, that God would change their hearts. We need to pray for them, and we need to even love our enemies through prayer. That is what will make you distinctly Christian in your prayers. There's a lot of things being said on social media. But you know what is going to make our prayers distinctive among all the things being said is that those who know Jesus Christ truly will pray for their enemies. Because on the cross, Jesus Christ related to us in a way that is unthinkable. You know, last year when all that was happening against the African-American community, one of the things that I heard from a, a black mother, she said, they're killing us. They're killing us. And I'm not going to get into the politics of that and all that stuff, but what she was saying is people who are, the, the kids who are dying on TV, they look like my son. They look like my daughter. They're killing us. And as Asian Americans, some of us had a hard time understanding what that felt like. For the first time, maybe, we know what it feels like to say, they're killing us. They're killing us. Brothers and sisters, on the cross of Jesus Christ, when he was literally being killed, what was he doing? When he was being killed, he said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. An unthinkable prayer when someone was being killed. That's a prayer that only those who have been forgiven, saved, and rescued can pray. Father, forgive them. We need to pray for our enemies. So brothers and sisters, Mosaic, as we come to our time of prayer, we're going to spend some time in intercession. I want to remind you of what God said today. We need to go from fear to love. We need to go from anger to love. We need to go into selfless, loving action and urgent prayer. Urgent prayer. Last year, when I gave a statement after George Floyd's death, I, I reminded you that Dr. King said it would be fatal for the nation to overlook the urgency of the moment. That was last year. It would be fatal for the nation to overlook the urgency of the moment. He prayed and, and said that in 1963. And I want to tell you today that if we overlook prayer right now, and if we overlook the urgency of prayer right now in the moment, then this will happen to someone else. But our prayers can make change in this world. We are tied together in mutuality. And so as we enter into this time of prayer, I ask you to bow your heads with me. And if we can hold, in some ways, a vigil, a time of prayer, and a time of mourning together, in this moment, let's cry out. As God said about Cain and Abel, he said, Cain, don't you know that your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground? My brothers and sisters, let's spend some time in grief. Let's spend some time bringing our anger to the Lord. And let's spend some time praying. Let's cry out for our nation. Let's cry out for those who feel defenseless and scared. As Christians, let's spend some time in intercession together. Let's pray.
pray for the church. Let's pray for Christians who are scattered around this nation, that they would be salt and light, that they would not just be engaging in anger and forming mobs, that they would be salt and light, that their anger would turn to love. Can we pray for them, that they would pray? You know, I think I was put to shame this week because as much as I was thinking about the issue, as my black brothers and sisters reached out to me, I was shamed by how much they were praying for us. And um, I, I realized just I should pray more. And, and they had been praying. And their prayers were so deeply encouraging to me as they reached out and said, I'm praying for you and I'm praying for you. And I realized, oh, I'm not praying for me. Um, can we pray that the Christians in our nation would go from anger to love and from love to prayer? and that we would be there for one another. Let's pray for the church, that we would be an encouragement and, a and, and mercy to one another in a time of pain. Let's pray for the church together. let's pray for our nation this is what the Lord has called us to do to pray for our nation maybe some of us need to repent that we've lost all hope we just think nothing's going to change until Jesus comes back so let's just wait if that's been you let scripture talk to you in James God says look Elijah was a man just like you and he prayed and it rained and he prayed and it didn't what's his point his point is that your prayers make a difference. Your prayers make a difference. So don't just say nothing's going to change in the nation and we'll just have to wait till Jesus comes back. My brothers and sisters, our prayer changes things. Let's pray for our nation that the Lord would heal, heal the nation, and that he would bring change in our midst, that we would see that we are linked together in a network of mutuality, inescapable, we are members of one another. Let's pray for our nation, that there will be healing and change in the place where we live. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you heartbroken, we come to you scared, we come to you very angry at what we have been seeing in our nation, and it's not just Asian Americans, but the division in our nation, it's the injustice that we see, it's the pain that we see, it's really sad, it's very unfair, and lots of people are getting hurt. So Father, we come to you in prayer because we know that you have called us to pray, 
You have told us to believe that you are a father and you act. So, Father, I pray in the church, may faith arise. In spite of what we see, help us to believe. And help us with our unbelief, thinking that God's not going to do anything, that nothing's going to change. We believe, Lord, but just, just help us with our unbelief. Help us to trust you regardless of how we feel and let faith arise in our hearts and help us to remember that our champion is not dead, but he is interceding for us in heaven, that he's alive and he knows the needs of his church and he will come and answer prayers when they are lifted. So Father, we come to you as a church and we pray, God of miracles, come. We need your love in a time of anger. We need your love in a time of fear. And we believe that you can change things because nothing's impossible for you. So, Father, I pray, help us to know that the battle belongs to the Lord. And when the world shakes and when there's sin and when there's destruction and evil in front of us, help us to cling to you. And I pray, send us out now as salt and light into this world. But before we go out, we want to look up and we want to receive the perfect love that casts out fear. We come to worship you and pray to you today. Heal our nation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all rise and respond to God with this song together.